Welcome back to the B-Sides. On today's episode, we get to hear from Roni Zahavi, co-founder and CEO of HiBob, an HR platform in the Bessemer portfolio. In this 30-minute conversation, Roni shares the ever-evolving HiBob story, discussing how the business has navigated a series of small pivots along the journey to become the leading HR suite for the mid-market. Let's get to it. Thank you for joining us, Roni. Thank and you for inviting me. So maybe just tell a quick background on your story. Maybe this is, uh, hopefully, it, uh, it's a recipe for success. But before I uh, founded uh, HiBob, I spent about nine months as an EIR, Entrepreneur in Residence, with the Bessemer team. Uh, actually, Adam invited me to spend time with him and then with, uh, with Amit and the rest of the guys. And actually, HiBob was incubated, the idea was incubated when I was um, AAR. And when today when we ask people how long they're with us, it's how many of the team really work at the Bessemer offices <laughs> in Herzliya. Uh, so we, the first three months uh, as part of the journey of uh, AAR was um, we, we worked literally from, from the Bessemer offices in Herzliya and then, and then we graduated and moved forward. But... Uh, I always say that the idea, the concept, the original one, was uh, incubated uh, with you guys. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad to have been a part of it, even though I joined after you guys left the office, unfortunately. But we've gotten to spend some good time together. It actually brings me to my first question to you, is that you don't come from the HR world. And so how did you end up incubating an idea that is sort of was in the HR sphere? Yeah, so I'm not the typical entrepreneur in the Israeli scene, I'm not from 8200, and I didn't study mathematics or physics in, um, in, in university, and I'm in tech by mistake. Actually, my first job in tech in 1997, I think, was uh, a HR manager. I wanted to be a psychologist, and hopefully someday I will make my dream come true. And uh, my first job in tech was with a company called Comtouch back in the days, was the Israeli Yahoo web-based email. And I spent uh, two years as a HR operations. And then I realized that um, the bread and butter of any business is in sales or business. And um, I asked uh, the founders, can I move to um, a business position? And believe it or not, I moved from being a vice president of HR in a publicly traded company to be an SDR. So I was literally doing cold calls because I knew that I have to learn it from, from the bottom up. So I did that and then I went to um, sales trade shows for the first time. Kudos to them, Gidon and Amir, they gave me the chance mm-hmm. and the rest is history. And I'm addicted to uh, entrepreneurship. And back to your question, I think every manager has to be an HR manager by itself because you end up spending most of your time on managing people, right. uh, fixing problems. So it was easy for me to understand what does it mean. But also I think um, the fact that I spent time in a startup, Rotendo, my, my, uh, a startup that I, that I, I co-founded, and then I spent time with Akamai, which you know they acquired... Uh, Cotendo. So it gives me a perspective about working for a small company, 120 employees, 
and then running a business unit of 700 employees with Akamai, we came to the conclusion that uh, the legacy HIS, HCM uh, platforms, they were not built to deal with the, with the new generation. And we said, this is um, an interesting opportunity. We took the, the hard path. The hard path means to build um, an HRIS suite mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to point solution. It requires a lot of capital and a lot of experience and a lot of patience because it takes time. Mm-hmm. Before we get to Haiba being the next generation people management solution for modern mid-market and multinational companies, mm-hmm. I do want to talk about that initial entry into saying, okay, I was at Contendo at Akamai. No one really thinks, okay, HR. And at that, was it there that you identified that this was the space you wanted to go into? Or was it only afterwards in sort of that EIR incubation process that you ended up in, in the HR tech landscape? I was looking for something big. I was not interested in building something which is small, small I mean, small market, doesn't have global impact. And by the way, one of the big mistakes we did at the beginning, we were so underestimating the complexity because when we originally thought about building an HR, I said, what's the big deal? Six months and, you know, we'll build it. Because I thought it's all about backend, you know, CDN, it's all about what do you build at the backend, you know, the pops and the proxies. Mm -hmm. And this is quite the opposite. It's all about the front end. So to me, it was, can it be something big? And none of us knew about the market. But I think being naive and not really knowing exactly what does it mean, that's the only way to jump and to do it again. Because if you ask me today, as an entrepreneur, would you recommend one of our audience to go and to build HIS? I would say, think twice. And not just because High Bob is, is destroying no, no, the market. No, of course not. <laughs> Same with the CDN. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when I, I realize the market and the power of Akamai in the market, again, I wouldn't recommend to build it without knowing what does it mean, right. but it's actually the opposite. Only the ones who are coming from outside, fresh, uh, dare to think big, have the courage to, to jump in, they can be successful. Well, well that's interesting because you know, you're thinking big, big market opportunity. What's an area that hasn't seen a lot of innovation from the outside? And then Haibab starts and you do, I guess, two things that are atypical of an Israeli company. Number one, your first focus is the UK market. And number two, you start pretty narrow, and I believe it was kind of more in the, in the benefits, pension, sort of something along the lines of regulation. So what led you to choose that initial path? If you could describe what that path was a little bit. Yeah. So the, the, the basic assumption was let's focus on small businesses with, uh, I would say, dozens of employees, not more than that. Actually, when I was in EAR, I went to the UK and I said, it's a cool market. Um, only four hours flight, two hours time difference. Let's, if, we, if I build something, probably I'll try to do it in the UK. So we were, it was really rare decision mm-hmm. to build something in Israel, but then go to Europe and within Europe to the UK and not to the US. Um, and, and we started, we, we, we knew there was a, a huge pension reform in the UK and we thought that the pension reform will re-educate the market 
especially the, the employees. And we were wrong because I remember a meeting I had with the minister of pension in the UK. And she explained to me that it is a race to the button. The government has interest that nobody will make money. You just want to make sure that more and more people, especially the young generation, will have pension scheme. So even if you see today nice margins as a, as a broker, uh, the, the, the regulation will kill it. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was true, you know, six years after. So um, immediately we knew that um, the benefits concept uh, will not work. And we said, okay, we have to build uh, an HR platform. But then the next pivot was when we thought about building an HIS and we thought to, you know, to sell it to the small businesses, it was a nice-to-have um, offer. So none of them really thought that they can live without HIS because you can manage a group of uh, 20, 30 employees on Excel spreadsheets. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So the next pivot was, okay, let's take it seriously. Let's build um, a real HIS that can serve large companies. Who, so, who actually need the HRIS. Yes. So from, from being nice to have, the shift was, the pivot was, okay, where HIS is a must-have, and then we identified the, the mid-size market. Mm-hmm. And it was... Uh, call it uh, karma or whatever, but uh, we found unserved market, the, 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 the many hundreds of employees, especially the global ones, when it was too small for, uh, a, f- uh, for the big ones and it's too big for the small ones, the mm-hmm. in-between, uh, we, we managed to identify a, a huge market. It's, uh, if you only focus on the 3Ms, Mid-size, modern, and multinational, it's about $10 billion market. Mm-hmm. If you drop the, multi, the multinational, it's $80 billion market. There is no leader in this market. Amazing. And we said, okay, let's go all the way and win it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you're on the way. We're on the way to doing that as a company, which is really exciting. Though if we go back, you know, I guess it's almost six years now. Just had the six-year six birthday party. Yeah. When you identified the need to shift away from that UK pension-focused model because regulations were going to destroy the margins potential in that business, the company was was how old again? Six months. Okay. And so, so you were, very early. So you were small enough to make a meaningful shift yes. in the product development. And, and, and that change kind of came from necessity almost, right? Less, less so from opportunity, but you realize, okay, the original idea we were going into isn't all that attractive as we thought. Ariel, I think um, the magic here is just listen to the feedback you get from the pension minister to the, uh, the... I'm not recommending anybody to have such a boring conversation with the pension brokers in England. You're dead. Uh, it's so boring. <laughs> but you listen to them and you understand the logic behind what they do and then you, and then you listen to customers. If, you li- if you're really listening, then you will know exactly are you in the right direction or not. And it's, it's a nice exercise because when you get to a meeting, you should ask yourself how much of, of the time, the conversation, you talk and how much you really listen. If, uh, if it's um, 70% you listen and 30% you talk, it was a fantastic, jo- a fantastic meeting 
We just listen. By the way, we keep listening to our customers. Even today, when we have more than 2,000 customers and we close about 350 new customers every quarter, we still pay a lot of attention. I listen to gong calls. I go and try to meet with customers. I, I talk to the AEs and the SDRs. What's, what's out there, and especially what happened in the past two years with the, with the, with the pandemic where all the, wor- the world of work shifted. So listening to the, 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 the challenges companies have with regard to remote work, hybrid work, and then how you build that into the product roadmap. Uh, companies who are scaling, you know, we have customers that started with us two years ago at 50 employees. They're already 3,000 employees. So within, what is it, two years, they've grown crazy. So if you really listen to the feedback and you understand exactly what does it mean and how it influences the, the product roadmap, it does not mean that you'll be successful, but it means it will be easier for you to choose the route, whether you go and you hit the wall or you probably uh, find the right way uh, to scale and, and to be successful. In a sense, it's a prerequisite for building anything that your customer will eventually want. And it almost comes at the opposite extreme for kind of the 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 chutzpah, the, the kind of the Israeli mindset of the, the old entrepreneur mindset of I'm going to build something that the market needs that I believe it needs and I'm going to kind of dictate what the market needs, which I'm sure you need some of that as you kind of build a compelling product roadmap and a vision because your customer doesn't always know what they want. But at a certain point, you do need to make those decisions as well. Yes, and you need to be very humble as an individual. Um, I remember one thing that um, really drove my decision to found Bob was I thought that um, post-Cotendo, I knew everything. I did it. Actually, oh, we did it. Within less than three and a half years, the company was sold for $300 million to Akamai. Why not do it again? And I was so wrong because the moment you think you have the answers for all the questions, you'll hit the wall. If you are curious and you listen and you go back to your um, notebook and you, and you make notes for yourself and you learn new things and you listen, then this is probably the right recipe to be successful. So um, it's a big challenge for entrepreneurs who are trying to do it again. Uh, can you really put aside your ego, your, uh, you, know, you think that you are a genius because you did it? This is not... Uh, it's a double-edged sword, you know. Yes. As VCs, we're, we're seeking out the second time around entrepreneur who knows how to build, they know how to talk to customers, they know how to sell, but at the same time, you have to balance it with that humility. And, and you know, yes. that, that's, a, that's a term that, that I love. And, and curiosity is another, another one you mentioned, that just sort of, if you really want to understand what the market needs, what somebody wants from you, you have to listen. You can't tell them. Yeah. It, by the way, it's not only you. It's, uh, I'm a great believer in a um, really strong team around you. Um, my, philo- my management philosophy is whoever you hire and reports to you, whether it's your CRO, CTO, CMO, they are the CEO of what they do. Um, you know, responsibilities, authorities, it is your organization, you lead it. We agree about the direction, we agree about the KPIs, we agree about the strategy, but at the end of the day, it's yours. Mm-hmm. So if you surround yourself from the, from the very beginning with uh, strong people, 
um, that uh, take their uh, life uh, at work seriously, then 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 you are then then your chances to be successful is um, is really higher and they are not forever I mean you should ask yourself again and again after uh, you know miles it can be business miles you know uh, 10 million dollar or 50 or 100 and and, and ho- hopefully they can grow with you but if not then um, sometimes you need to make tough decisions and to surround yourself again with people that can take you to the next level mm-hmm. Let me ask you a couple of very practical, specific questions on sort of navigating a pivot, right? So six months in, you've got a core team, probably what, five, 10 people plus the founders or so. Now you need to go through a pivot. How much does the team need to change at that moment? Or is it close enough that sort of the whole team shifts with you? No, the, the, the team was small and and the communication was very open. They, It was not surprise. I mean, we shared the, the the feedback with with everybody, and then we understood. By the way, we were like building already the the um, the, the digital broker because we thought that we All right we have to build it, and we have to we have to pose it. We say you know it's um, what we we spend time and money on a project that um, starting from scratch. Yeah, so let's move back to the um, to, to to the basic. I think the conversation was open, um, and I remember one of our first um, a sales guys coming back to me and say, "You sent me to sell something, but there's nothing to sell. I cannot sell it. It's nothing." And I said, "No, no, no. Go again. And if you cannot sell, ask them. What would what, you buy? What would you buy?" <laughs> and this dialogue was really feeding us, and and. Um, um, unlike many entrepreneurs or investors uh, who are not recommending to uh, a start with Israeli customers, I'm a great believer. I, I did it twice, and and it was and it was a great success. Um, being able to launch in a, a, a product in Israel uh, for the right for the right customers. In our case, was uh, modern businesses, you know, tech companies was a, a very smart decision because you get the feedback in your face with the Israeli client. Mm-hmm. Um, they will not um, compromise on anything with you. So for us, the dialogue with the Israeli customers, and, and many of them, there are, they are features in the platform that are named after them because it was them pointing out a problem that, that need to be solved. And because of the dialogue with them, it's like it when was you're a regular of, at a restaurant and you get you get a sandwich named after you. Exactly. You're really giving your feedback and your time <laughs> and your energy. Um, so talking to customers, talking to Israeli customers, um, surrounding yourself with them, uh, strong people, um, uh, being humble, Sanua is so important. Mm-hmm. And then um, work hard. Yeah. Um, can I ask you on, you know, you raised a seed round. Six months in, the idea you're going after isn't what you're going to be going after directly. How does that affect your decision-making when it comes to spending and thinking about the next round of financing? You know, all of a sudden, okay, our go-to-market has been pushed out another six months. And, and how does that affect you as the CEO? So um, between the seed round to, uh, to the B round, 
um, my strategy was let's so we did the A and then we did A1, A2 and A3. So they were all at the same terms of the original A run but extended investment coming from the insiders of course but with new investors. Um, in all the cases the valuation was was getting higher from from the you know the different A's. Um, but not as typical of a step ups of okay here's a series B and now here's and, a series C and a big C. series B it was like uh, incremental funding mm-hmm. that I thought we need to have because all of a sudden you understand that you need to build more you need to pay more attention to new markets uh, for example we realized a year after we started selling in, in the UK that there's um, interesting opportunities coming from the Nordics so expanding to new geography was on the table. But the fact that uh, at the beginning you have no idea which, you know, which route will you choose. And you have to have enough fuel in your tank to make sure that if you choose the wrong one, you can go backwards and correct it. And also being able to hire people to, to support different projects. The fact that I was a second time in entrepreneur really helped me convince uh, investors why they should invest. I was going to say, because, you know, from, from my perspective, from my seat as Bessemer or as a VC, you know, when you don't see that hyper growth in the beginning, hey, it's not clear that the product market fit is there. Or you still need a little bit more on the feature front or on the, on the go-to-market front. There's a certain level of impatience that VCs can get. Yes. Yet here you are continuing to fundraise successfully along the journey towards a vision that it was very clear to you because of the customer feedback you were getting. And so how did you get those VCs kind of to have that patience and to join the story, even when things weren't as sexy as, as they are today? So um, one of the big kudos to Bessemer and to Adam was that he believed from, from the very beginning about, you know, we were aligned about the vision and we were aligned that it takes time to build. To build a suite, it takes time and requires a lot of uh, capital. And um, we didn't see the numbers coming. Uh, we were growing nicely, but still the, the beautiful uh, SaaS KPIs, which represents your efficiency, were at the, even at the red zone, not, not to mention in the yellow zone. Uh, but we knew all the time that uh, by the time we get to the right product market fit, and it was challenging because we were operating in different countries, you know, North America by then and UK and Nordics and Israel, as well as getting the right team uh, in place, you know, that they are trained, they understand how to sell. Then we saw that uh, it's coming. It was a slow, a very slow move. It didn't happen overnight, right. but we knew it. it's coming in the right direction. Then the pandemic. Um, so we were like um, $8 million AR at that point. And then the pandemic um, it happened. It was uh, March 2022. Between March 2022 until June, we saw the the dashboards moving from from the red zone to the yellow zone, and we knew it just a matter of time when we get to to the green ones. And today we are in the, the dark green in terms of efficiency. But it it took us uh, about four and a half five years to build, 
make mistakes because we did a lot of mistakes constant on, iterations on the team yeah. on the go to market on who, you hire who we people have where exactly and, and and they were like too not it was the not product market fit is is at the product but getting the right fit with your go to market team that's another challenge mm-hmm. is it enterprise sale is it uh, only related on inbound it's a, is it a mix inbound and an outbound This is a, an element that you need to pay attention to and it takes time until you get and you fine-tune it. I mean, the timing is, is yes, it happened when the pandemic hit, but you know, from my perspective at least, the, the success of Highbow over the last two-plus years was not due to, okay, no. COVID accelerated a lot, of, a lot of trends, but more so was the four years beforehand where you're yes. investing into the product and you're constantly iterating in these You know these slight maybe non-noticeable pivots along the way from SMBs to the mid market to you're absolutely right it was not this is not what we have seen in the past it's not hype it's not related to the pandemic we were the right platform with the right modules and features with a fantastic employee experience at the right time and when HIS became mission critical platform for businesses because they have to onboard hundreds of employees every month remotely and this capabilities was built from 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 the beginning then then you were the right player at the right time mm-hmm. and the last month of Q2 2020 in June we already saw that um, it's coming the world was freezing but hi Bob was already seeing this sort and of then, this uplift and, yes and then and then um, I would say the rest is history because from that moment on, we see the growth. We are growing and we are very efficient. My advice is don't listen to your uh, investors when they tell you hit the gas pedal and forget about the efficiency. Just grow, grow, grow. If you don't know how to be efficient, then you have a problem. When you get to efficiency, you can go back and invest more, but only when you know the route to be efficient. And then you control it. Because if you go blindly, uh, you're putting your business in a big risk. So growing and, and being efficient, to me, these are the two North Star that uh, you have to have. Let's say when you go, when you pass the $10 million ARR, you have to have those uh, metrics in front of you as a, as a, as a CEO or the right. CRO. So let me ask you one more question. On this balance of having conviction in the product and what you're hearing from the market, Balanced with this humility and this listening to what the market is telling you or what the investment market is telling you, most entrepreneurs might, guess, dis, might get disheartened and say, okay, it's time to navigate towards a, a quick exit here or let's find out who, to, who we could sell this to. There's many acquirers in the HR tech space. Now, the situation was never dire like that at Hypop. But when an entrepreneur is considering, do I pivot? How far should I pivot? I guess the question is, how far were you willing to pivot away from the original kind of HR tech pension thesis you know if when would it be time to close the, to, to hang up your hat let's ask it that way first of all if you don't pivot something wrong with your uh, with your idea and it doesn't matter if you come from the industry and you do it again uh, in a workday there were ex people soft from Oracle and they build people soft from scratch and still they have to you know work hard and pivot from what they originally because the market is changing. Uh, the, it was the move from on-prem to the cloud, so they have to build something really different. If you don't pivot, then you have an issue. 
you should ask yourself why you're not pivoting because you're supposed to pivot because the more you talk to customers and the market is progressing and, and it's good news that the market is progressing then then you have to adjust your uh, your story um, but on the other hand you need to be this it goes back to the uh, I would say the emotional elements that the uh, entrepreneur has to have in this journey it's probably the very tough job you know being entrepreneur the ups and downs the the uncertainty uh, you read an email in the morning and you believe uh, uh, it's the end and then two hours after you think that um, no it's me I'm it's it's I'm going to win the market um, and when you think about pivoting you need to listen to your guts you need to listen to what you believe if you spend time listening to your customers and you have a great team around you you know better than What's going on in the business than any of your uh, investors because you are in the trenches they can challenge you with great questions they can challenge you um, and, and try to refer you to other businesses or people who were in your journey but the answers you should know better than than anybody else and and if uh, and you really have to believe in yourself uh, and be honest with yourself yeah Uh, yeah otherwise if if you bullshit yourself with answers then you will hit the wall um, I think it, it it's it's ongoing process the more you spend time and you are transparent with your board and you choose the right investors to have this open dialogue mm-hmm. the better for the business and I was lucky you're saying all the words I love transparency authenticity curiosity and this is when I think about early stage investing you know we're not looking for The best ideas wow this this is an amazing idea this is going to solve all the problems what we're looking for what I'm looking for is fantastic teams who are in love and this is a bit of a cliche but who are in love with problems and with customers and not with their solution because if you're in love with your solution you're gonna miss the boat you're not going to be listening but if you're really focused on solving the problem then yeah you can pivot from being a digital broker for pension plans to becoming the the leading modern mid-market multinational HR team engagement platform HRIS solution and I would add to that absolutely go by the team the bigger the market is the better so if you really want to build a big company and make an impact it should be a big market what does it mean big market billions of dollars of uh, time if it's a small market more challenging if you are chasing a market of um, there's also less room to pivot to Right? It's like, okay, yes, of course. there's a small market. I thought I could capture 10% of a billion dollars. Moving, navigating, and maneuvering there is not the easiest way to build a billion-dollar-plus company. Mm-hmm. Although I'm biased, <laughs> uh, because I sit here, I will take this opportunity, and I will say that um, Bessemer, you know, the firm, the team, the, the DNA of Bessemer as, as an investor... Is, is a fantastic one. And I'm not trying to sell Bessemer here. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for, uh, for myself. And it's all about building relationship. You know, uh, uh, investors, it's like a, a Catholic wedding. They are with you forever. You cannot divorce. So you need to choose the right one that can be with you all the way in the ups and, and in the downs. And uh, I only say that um, this is my um, most recommended 
advice to entrepreneur and you didn't ask me to say I so so it is I did not but I was I, I I'll say that the reason I'm here is is because I I totally agree with it you know the, my colleagues when I'm in a meeting with entrepreneurs we spend probably 70% to get use your North Star listening and probably even less than than 30% asking questions and prodding because for us it's the entrepreneur knows the space the entrepreneur knows the market and we're here to learn we don't we don't know the market better than anyone else and so I find you myself surrounded by people that are curious and insightful but not the loudest in the room not the most vocal in the room but the ones who are kind of really measured with what to ask where to prod and not where to uh you know dictate um, I'll ask you one personal question but you already hit on it I'd like to ask people what what their b-sides are what would you be doing if you weren't Ronnie Zahavi CEO of hi Bob you'd mentioned psychology and so. a lot of the areas you're focused in my wife is a psychologist by the way and I I find that our jobs are actually very similar me and her I think so I hope to do it in the future but um, definitely something with people thankfully you're doing some of that right now so maybe I will ask you a question sure I like uh, that so don't you feel you know you spend time with the uh, entrepreneurs and you listen to so many great ideas don't you feel it in your uh, in your veins in your fingers and That you want to be to jump to the other side and becoming entrepreneur thank you for the question short answer is is not really you know I I really like the difference in the nuance I have in every day listening to different entrepreneurs different stages different sectors different nationalities and geographies a bit more of a of an ADD mindset and I don't have the entrepreneurial bug in the sense of wanting to build a company and But you know I have my family I have my community that I'm building I have you know friendships etc I feel like I, I have a lot of like building in other areas of my life mm-hmm. and I I like the psychological aspect of being an advisor and being a, a a listening ear or the first phone call to an entrepreneur and not necessarily having I don't know if it's what the pressure that kind of throws me off but it's more of the the responsibility of everything riding on your shoulders versus being part of that team and And be in a much more listening capacity than a, than a doing capacity so hope that doesn't sound lazy <laughs> no my two sense that um, investor is a profession you have to learn it you have to spend time look at uh, Adam Fisher uh, how long it took him all his career is uh, and you know investor as an investor uh, it's a profession and it takes time to learn and I'm sure uh, we'll follow you Thank you. In the future. I hope so too. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming in and thanks for the extra time here, Ronnie. Sure. And uh, it's you. always a pleasure. Thank you to you and the Hi Bob team for the great successes so far and we're excited for the great things to come. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening to The B-Sides, the podcast exploring the many tactical and strategic decisions taken by founders and operators at every step of the startup journey. Be sure to subscribe wherever you might be listening and if you want to share any feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Ariel Sturman. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.